0: It's a blessing to be able to worship with you. We're going to dismiss the children at this time to Children's Church as well. Although I don't see Amy yet, she may still be changing clothes. So why don't y'all sit tight just for us? There she is. Okay. So any of the kids who want to go to Children's Church now would be the time to do that. So I am grateful for Amy playing a double role this morning and being a part of our baptism as well. Anytime we have children that are part of our children's ministry, I like to have Uh, The children's ministry director, the children's pastor there with us. We do the same thing with youth when teenagers are baptized to have uh, the youth pastor as a part of that as well. So I am grateful for the role that each of them play. Uh, That being said, I mentioned, but God is moving in a great way and we are seeing God Uh, reach people's lives. I mentioned we had 17 kids who gave their hearts to Christ a couple weeks ago. Our goal for the church for the year is to see 53 people give their hearts to Christ. And uh, so far, since January 1st, we've seen 31. Uh, So we celebrate, I'm sorry, actually, that's not correct. It's 34, uh, which is even better. So... We celebrate the fact that God is moving, and I believe he's going to do even greater things than, than what we've seen already. So thank you so much for being a part of our worship service this morning. I believe that God maybe even has something for us today. also grateful for Colby sharing the scripture with us this morning, and we're going to use that scripture as a part of the sermon in just a moment. I know he just prayed, but let me take a moment just to take a breath and also to pray and ask the Lord to have his way. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering together with your people today. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. I pray that you would allow us to hear the word and allow it to penetrate our hearts that we might be challenged and changed. May you be honored in everything we say and do here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I can't think of a better way to celebrate Independence Day than to have individuals being baptized. We're talking about people moving from bondage to sin, to being set free, which is a beautiful thing. We're talking about individuals finding the freedom to truly live because really without Christ, we are only experiencing a small taste of freedom. But with Christ, we get to know what freedom really is. And so today we do celebrate true independence. This weekend, many people across the country Will be celebrating Independence Day in various ways. Many will be taking extra time off. Some will be going and traveling to be with families. Some are uh, going to just stay home and maybe watch a John Wayne marathon on TV. Others, others will come to be a part of our celebration that'll be here at the church on Tuesday night. And I, I know Jerry already promoted that, but what a great time of fellowship that'll be, and just honoring the Lord. While we do celebrate the nation that we live in, it pales in comparison to what we truly celebrate, which is Jesus Christ. There'll be tons of fireworks, there'll be tons of barbecue, and all kinds of celebrations. We celebrate this holiday because of what happened in 1776. We celebrate the actions of people we only know about because of books. We celebrate the actions of people that lived without electricity, without regular mail service, without a super Walmart in their backyard. I wonder, do you ever long for the good old days? Do you ever long to have things the way they used to be? I'm going to tell you there are probably most everyone in this room, but I can confirm that I do long for those days. And then... I get to thinking about it, and maybe I wouldn't really enjoy those days as much. They actually had it pretty rough back then. For example, today's high is supposed to be in the mid-90s. Going back to the good old days means saying goodbye to the air conditioning. Uh, It would be far less than pleasant. I know often we think about all the good things that went with it, but sometimes there were things we wouldn't have liked as well. But there was something special about the people from that day and time. We celebrate that these people had the devotion, the gall or the courage to break the existing hold of Europe on these people that they were referred to as wilderness colonies that had struggled to survive and were being choked by rules and unfair burdens placed on them by the King of England. They were pretty specific in the Declaration of Independence. If you were to read through the document, you will find oppression, abuse, removal of rights, false justice, and punishment, you'll find a precisely stated set of charges against the king and their justification for a separation from the rule of that king. Their charges are that the king is not fulfilling his responsibility to be a protector for the people, and worse, that he is abusing his distant subjects. The Declaration was to break free of a stranglehold of a tyrant. Interestingly, we celebrate the day of declaration, not the day that it was actually achieved. Following the declaration signed on July 4th, 1776, there would be years of fighting and countless people would give their lives. This was more than a one-time decision. This would be a lifetime of sacrifice but it would be for something that they firmly believed in. I just went back this week looking at some of the uh, individuals who signed the Declaration of Independence. Actually, I had a list of all of them, and there were a few that lived relatively long lives. But did you know that over half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were dead within 15 years of signing that document? The reality is that this was a very serious thing that they were stepping into. And it would require great sacrifice if they were to see this become a nation on its own. But It was worth it to them because they knew that what they were trading was their bondage for the potential that came with freedom. But these men and women were not the first to seek out freedom from oppression or tyranny, nor would they be the last. In fact, it would seem that until the day that Christ returns, that there will be those who attempt to oppress others. There will be those who try to keep others in bondage. In fact, in the years that followed our Declaration of Independence, slavery would become a part of our story, even as a nation. And even today, according to the United Nations, there are currently 24.9 million people in the world who find themselves in some sort of of slavery. Well there was a time when God's people also found themselves in bondage and they cried out to the Lord for his deliverance. And I want to take a look at that for just a few moments this morning. Of course I'm talking about the Israelites. You heard Colby read the passage already as they sought to become free from slavery in Egypt. Much of their story is recorded in the first several chapters of Exodus, although we will not read it in its entirety. They actually came down to Egypt seeking refuge. They went for a good thing. There had been a severe drought across the region, and God had found a way to prepare Egypt for this drought. Actually, it wasn't just intended for Egypt, though. In fact, God would use an Israelite named Joseph to actually prepare Egypt, and when the day came that the Israelites needed food, they had a place that they could go. And while they initially came down to Egypt, welcomed in as fellow residents, as siblings, to this Joseph who had provided for the people of Egypt, it wouldn't be long before they found themselves on the outside looking in. Fellow residents are then transformed into slave labor, and they become, at best, second-class citizens. For four centuries, this oppression would remain, and it only seemed to get worse as time would pass by. I won't go into all the details, but I'll just describe perhaps the ugliest moment in their bondage. Pharaoh wanted to control the population of the Israelites, and in order to do so, he ordered that all Israelite male children be thrown into the Nile River as an act of limited genocide. It was okay to have the daughters, but they didn't want the sons because they were afraid that at some point the Israelites would become strong enough and they would rise up and overthrow the Egyptian people. And so the people cried out to God for his deliverance. Listen to Exodus 2, verse 23 to 25. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In the days and years that would follow, the Israelites would endure much hardship. In fact, things would have to get worse before they would get better. God would send Moses to deliver the people of Israel, but as he would approach Pharaoh, Pharaoh would actually punish the Israelites. Exodus 5 tells us that their workload would be increased and they would be shown absolutely no mercy. And then, ironically, the same people who cried out for the Lord's help apparently regret their desire to be set free. Listen to their response to their deliverer. Moses has just come, and he stood before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is beginning to get angry, and Pharaoh is making life harder. This is how they respond in Exodus 5, 20 and 21. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand, to kill us. I'm sorry, wait a second. I thought you called out to God and asked for help. Fortunately, God would not abandon them in this manic state. One minute they need God and the next minute they want God to leave them alone. Instead, he would deliver them. But the point is that the road from bondage to freedom would not be an easy road. In fact, as I had Colby read our key text earlier, we see some of that in place. It's found in Exodus 13. It begins by identifying the difficult road which they would be forced to endure. Listen again to just the first couple verses beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, this would be after 10 plagues, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. I just want to pause for a second. When God says they might do something, God knows their heart. Which means he knows that if they face an enemy army right away, it's not going to be long before they say, you know what? I think we'd be better off going back to Egypt. Remember, just a moment ago, they're complaining that Moses has even shown up. How dare you do this? We've become obnoxious to Pharaoh and his servants, and now it's as if they're wanting to kill us. Weren't they already killing your children? He knows that if they face difficulty, they're going to want to give up and go back. So let's begin here. Freedom is not an easy road. In fact, I would suggest to you that there are at least two pitfalls that await those who seek freedom. The first is the problem of another potential captor, with the second being the problem of self. And these two are both interconnected. In the passage that I just shared with you, God takes them the long way out of Egypt because there are likely going to be enemies that will await their arrival. And that's not to say that the other enemies couldn't be stopped. Here's the thing, God has just delivered them from the Egyptians. If God could deliver them from the mighty Egyptians, surely he could deliver them from the Philistines that they would come across on their path. The issue was not that God was unable, the concern is that the people might get scared and go home to what is familiar to them. Now we've already seen that the Israelites are an extreme group of people. They want God and then they don't want God. The concern is that they might just return to Egypt because it's easy. I've seen this so often in dealing with individuals going through addiction. Individuals will turn from their addiction, and the moment that things get rough, they find themselves going back to the familiar, the things that they recognize, the things that almost provide them with a sense of comfort, even though it also provides them with an awful lot of regret. But they like the familiar. What happens is they go back, and they go back. It doesn't make sense, but it's exactly what people do. Think about what has just happened. By the time they are actually released, they have endured 400 years of suffering. and In the past several weeks, they've witnessed God's wrath falling upon the Egyptian rulers, the enemies, the the individuals who are forcing their will upon them, the oppressors. In fact, as the Israelites leave, the same Egyptians who wanted them to stay for so long are now eagerly wanting the Israelites to just get out of here, so much so that the Israelites are able to plunder them as they leave. They take all of their gold and their silver, and the Egyptians are actually okay with it. Just leave. Take whatever you want. It's okay. Can you imagine the excitement as they begin this journey? The, the morning that literally the Israelites are leaving and they said, hey, you're going to use that? And they're taking it with them. And they walk out the door and for the first time in 400 years, they're free. Can you imagine the excitement that they had? It's not all that different from those who have been in bondage to sin. When they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, they are set free. And it's almost as if this huge weight is just removed off of them. And now the question arises, what will you do with your newfound freedom? For some, they will indulge in the flesh. But that's foolishness. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words to the Galatian church in Galatians 5, 13 to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And the point that Paul is making is that God did not deliver you from one master only to see you be mastered by another sin. Paul would say on multiple occasions that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, as you are free in Christ, you can choose for yourself. But it would be foolish to choose another sin to have mastery over you. He set you free. Why would you then walk right into another situation where now you are no longer free? Instead, remember the love that you have received and offer that to others. Show the world that freedom is there for the taking and they too can receive it. But for others, it's not that they move from one sin into the next. Instead, many will move from bondage to sin into bondage of the law, and this is especially common within the church. We're talking about the exact opposite, but with the same result. Please don't get me wrong. If you have been delivered from sin, you ought to do everything possible to avoid going back that sin. In fact, one more quote from the Apostle Paul, he said, shall I continue in sin so that grace might abound even more? And then he answers his own question, absolutely not. No way. So should we leave sin behind? Obviously we should. But if we are solely dependent upon the law to save us, we are in trouble. Let me explain, I actually had a thought this week and I don't have those very often, but I had a thought this week. I don't know if it's all that profound, but I wanna share it with you. The law has never set anyone free. In fact, it is possible that many who would call themselves Christians have merely changed masters. And they're no longer being mastered by sin but they are being mastered by the law. Instead, they are slaves to the law. If I were to tell the truth a thousand times, for example, and then I lie once, according to the law, I am a liar. If I chose to be faithful to my wife a thousand times, but then I commit adultery one time, according to the law, I am an adulterer. And if I were to show mercy to others over and over again, yet one time I choose to commit murder, according to the law, I am a murderer. The law cannot change that. In fact, I could serve 40 years in prison and then be released. But when I am released, according to the law, I am still a murderer. I still carry that title. The point is that the law is powerless to truly set you and me free. Actually, the only thing that could change that verdict, that title, is a full pardon. When one receives a full pardon, their record is made clean. It is as if they have never committed that sin in the first place. That is called grace point is this many have left their bondage to sin and now they're trying so hard to be good they are living as slaves to the law it's almost as if they have just traded one master for another now they live for their goodness and every time they fall short of God's best They sit there and they mentally kick themselves because they realize what bad people they really are. They feel defeated because they are the biggest loser. Listen to me. I challenge you, do good. Strive to please the Lord in all that you do, but realize that you will still need his grace no matter how good you think you must be. Too many of us have chosen a new master. What we need is a new Lord. Well, back to our passage in Exodus 13, we see a curious note in verse 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. And I wonder why this matters. Why is this even included? Because to be honest with you, it seems so insignificant, at least at a first reading. In a manner, this, though, is a call to remember how you've gotten here. That's why we sang that song, We Will Remember, which, by the way, y'all sounded amazing singing that song this morning. But we need to remember. I told you earlier that Joseph was the one who had helped prepare for the drought 400 years earlier, well, he too was an Israelite, and he had experienced firsthand the blessing of God. Sure, he had some difficulty as well. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was betrayed by Potiphar's wife. He was forced to not only be a slave, but then to be a prisoner. But then God would actually move in a great way, and God would put him as second in command over everything in Egypt. He knew God's blessing. He was able to see things often before they happened, and especially as a result of various dreams. These dreams, they included dreams that he had personally received as a young boy, as well as the dreams of others like the baker and the cupbearer, or even the pharaoh later on. Well, apparently there was something else, though, that God had revealed to Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50, the people of Israel, Joseph's family are living in comfort. They have been welcomed into Egypt, but it wouldn't be long before that welcome mat would be rolled up. Actually, in the first chapter of Exodus, we see that a new king takes the throne, and he does not know of the role that Joseph has played, and so he begins to force Joseph's family into slavery. Back to Genesis 50, I mentioned that just briefly a moment ago. In verses 24 and 25, listen to the conversation that takes place. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. Do you remember me just saying that they were living in comfort? They were living in peace here in the land of Egypt. They have the blessing of God. They are in a great place. So why is Joseph talking about the fact that God will come to their aid? It's almost as if Joseph already knows That this time of peace will not last. He is telling them of what is to come, but he is also reminding them of the promise that God had already given. God will come to your aid, but listen to the second part of that, and he will take you to the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me tell you that one of the greatest things that we can do is to remember The problem is that many of us have what's called selective memory. My kids do this quite often. Uh, I tell them to do something and they remember the good things and they forget the other things. If there's a chore that needs to be done, they don't always remember that quite as well. I'm not sure how that works, but it happens. But I think it happens with more than just kids. An addict remembers the high times and conveniently forgets the pain and regret that led to their destruction. They forget the times where they hurt people. They forget the trust that was lost. And all they can remember is, yeah, I remember that one time when I was high. And, I was... and what happens is they forget all of the regret that was a part of their sin. They get further away from their addiction sometimes even and then they forget how God delivered them. I spoke with someone this past Friday who shared about his past. He said that he didn't always make the best choices, and the result was that he hurt a lot of people, as well as ending up in prison for about five years. He shared that his primary addiction was to methamphetamines, but he now has been drug-free for almost five years. When I asked him how He was set free. He said this, and I'm going to quote him. I even wrote it down after he shared it because I told him I wanted to be able to use it in this sermon. He said, My life was falling apart, and a family friend got me into a Christ-centered rehab. I thought I'd just jump through the hoops for 30 days, or however long it took to make other people happy. But about three days in, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. He added, That changed everything. I stayed for 18 months, and I am still on the journey. Man, I hope that guy never forgets that it was Jesus Christ who changed his life. It wasn't his willpower. It wasn't a program that he was a part of. What it came down to was he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and that's where he found freedom. The psalmist writes, and in your bulletin, I gave the wrong reference. In Psalm 143, verse 5, not verse 4, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I suggest to you that it's time for us to remember what the Lord has done, to remember how he called us out of sin and how he made a way for us to be set free. Finally, knowing how good and faithful he's been to us so far, it makes it a lot easier for us to follow him as our GPS. The passage in Exodus chapter 13 tells us that, the Lord would lead the Israelites with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And where the Lord led them was always right. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with the GPS. At times, I confess that it may be operator error. It's not the GPS's fault. But I also admit that there are times that it may not be my fault. Sometimes, I think those GPS's are wrong. I mentioned on Friday that when I went to pick up the individuals, when I was Uber driving on Friday was when I had that encounter with the guy. When I went to pick him up that night, as I was approaching, I came across a road that was closed. Actually, it wasn't really closed. It was a farm. There wasn't even a way to get to the other side without going back and all the way around. Sometimes the GPS can be wrong. But with God, his direction is always right. I already told you that it may not always be easy, and there will certainly be times that it's scary, but God's direction is always best. And sometimes we got a different plan. Can you imagine the Israelites as they get ready to leave Egypt, and they think to themselves, there's a shorter way. I could go this way. Actually, God says, I don't want you to go that way, because you may run into enemy nations, and at that point, you'll want to turn back. It seemed easier for them to do it a different way. But God had a different plan, and God's plan will always, always be best. As the Israelites fled Egypt, the Egyptians immediately experienced what is known as buyer's remorse. They let the Israelites go. Well, who's going to cook for us? Who's going to clean? Who's going to build for us? And so they set out to bring the Israelites back to Egypt. But God has other plans. Listen to Exodus 14, verse 10 to 14. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And at that point, Moses has got to be thinking to himself, are you kidding me? Y'all are the biggest whiners and babies I have ever seen. First of all, to begin with, the Egyptians are not coming back to kill the Israelites. They don't want them to die. They want to bring them back to Egypt so that they can continue to serve them. But immediately the Israelites assume the absolute worst. Remember, these are the same Israelites that had called out to the Lord, asking him to deliver them. And God has delivered them. He's worked incredible miracles to bring them to this point. And the only thing they can do is whine. But Moses doesn't fuss at them. Instead, in verse 13, it says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. I'm going to tell you, what I heard there was, Stop acting like wusses. Y'all are the biggest wimps I have ever seen in my life. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I love the fact that he doesn't even expect them to be the ones to do the fighting. You know, so often we think that if we just worked a little bit harder, we could experience God's victory. But the truth is, The Israelites simply needed to sit back and allow God to do the work. Now, I'm going to tell you, we need to give our best to this journey. But it is God who is going to set us free. It's not because of what we do. In the following verses, God will part the Red Sea, and the Israelites will walk across on dry ground. As the Egyptian army would attempt to follow, God will cause the waters to close up on them, destroying them completely. And on that day, they would rejoice knowing that following God was absolutely the best decision they ever could have made. And they moved from complaining about Moses to actually writing songs about Moses because they celebrate what he's done. What I want you to know today is that if you find yourself in bondage, I invite you today to be set free. I believe today that God is still setting people free. You saw individuals testifying to that this morning in baptism. We have seen it happen. We know that God can still set people free. Maybe your sin is something that other people would look at and be disgusted by. Or maybe it's something that others would justify. When it comes down to it, all sin carries a great penalty. The wage of sin is death, but God came to forgive, and to set us free. I believe today that God still wants to set people free. If you are in bondage today, I invite you to be set free, and if you've been set free, I challenge you to start living like you've been set free. If you will bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we rejoice over who you are, your incredible love for us, the fact that you loved us too much to leave us in our sin, and instead you made a way for us to be set free. Lord, I pray today that every person in this room would know the freedom that comes from knowing you as our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and then I pray that you would set us free to live a new, fulfilled life. Father, I pray for those who have been a part of the body of Christ for a long time and some who maybe even have found themselves serving the master of the law. Father, I pray today that you would help us to recognize how much, no matter how good we are, how much we need your grace. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live a life that displays gratefulness for what you've done, but also displays a love for you and a freedom that is only available through your son, Jesus Christ. Let the world around us see that we can be set free. Father, I pray for each one who's here. And actually, just for a moment, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm in bondage to sin. And it continues to hold on to me. And I can't let it go. And I need God to set me free and you want to ask God right now to set you free, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Put it back down. Thank you. Father, for the hands that have been raised, I pray that right now you would grant incredible freedom, or that you would grant a new hope and a new life. And, Lord, I look forward to seeing how you transform their lives so that they become more like you. We give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us, to be able to worship and also to spend some time in the word together and to celebrate the life that is being given to those who are in Christ Jesus. I challenge you to something I didn't share at the beginning this morning, but if you at one point were baptized and you made a decision for Christ, sometimes being a part of a service like this where you see others being baptized, it can serve as a reminder to you of the decisions that you've already made. Maybe you've wandered from that decision. Maybe it's time to hit the reset button and to go back and say, God, I am yours. I have been forgiven. Thank you. Let me once again live as one who has been set free. Please, if you want to talk afterwards, I'd love to see you. I'll be out in the for you. It's a blessing to have you with us. Go in peace.